You are listening to the Build Your Network podcast. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast, and thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Hi, thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, well, take me back to really the very beginning for you. Um, We always like to go back to the beginning uh, in these conversations, and you know, I can't imagine that you predicted the line of work you'd be in as a you know seven or eight year old kid thinking about their future. So, what what did you originally want to do? What was the thing that that kind of motivates you, or or you thought? This is what I'll be when I grow up. Wow. When I was really small, I thought I might be an actor mm. or a singer. My mother was a singer. So I grew up singing and acting and had a lot of fun doing it. And then as I grew older, you know, I started to really, I watched a lot of news on television, a lot mm. of current affairs with my dad. He'd come home and he's a dentist. It was kind of like a classic upbringing where yeah. dad would come home every night and then we would cycle through, you know, every news program right. that existed. And so I got really interested in the news and in journalism. But I think if you go way back to like eight or nine, I think I was really thinking that I'd rather be the person who was, you know, in the uh, in the talent seat, not the mm. interviewer seat. And that really right. switched as I grew over. I, I preferred then to finally be in the interviewer seat as I as I grew and surely became an awkward teenager. Sure, sure. When you were growing up and like thinking about these things and interest in them, did you have support from people around you or was it kind of this thing where it's like, that would be really cool, but everyone's telling me it's common sense to go down the path of being a lawyer or doctor or, you know, all those typical paths that come up. Yeah, I do think that I had, I definitely had support from my parents. My, as I said, my mom was a performer. My dad had a much more kind of standard career. Um, it was pretty clear early on I wasn't going to be a dentist. Also queasy at blood, so wasn't going to be a doctor. I definitely considered law, which I also think can, you know, kind of is one of those pathways that incorporates all kinds of things from performing to language and journalism and, and all of those things rolled into one. So I, I definitely thought that way. And I and I think you yes, the point at which there is a turnaround from, hey, I want to go to drama school to actually I'll go to journalism school mm-hmm. was probably at, I would say definitely a practical consideration at the time. Sure, sure. Well, tell me about that first step into the world of journalism, because obviously that was the beginning of your career. How difficult was that to break into? What was it like during that period of actually starting getting into that world? Was it something you immediately loved or was it something where you thought maybe it's not quite what I thought it was going to be? Yeah. So I went to school in Australia and college in Australia is much more vocational than it is here. So Mm. for example, when you leave high school at say 17, you can go directly into a law degree or you can go directly into a business degree or a journalism major. And so you're really kind of forced to make some decisions at quite a young age. And when I, I, I kind of prefer the American system where you get a bit of a general education before having to make that choice, right? 
frankly, no one should be a 21 year old attorney in my opinion. Right. So, you know, I think I had to choose very early what discipline I wanted to lean into. And that at the time was journalism, which is kind of distant from what I'm doing day to day now. But I went in to do a journalism degree at an institution called the Queensland University of Technology, which at the time was the best place to do that in Australia. Uh, some really amazing people had graduated from there and it's a really cool course with wonderful professors. And so one of those professors was actually working at the Metropolitan Newspaper in my city, which was the Korea Mail in Brisbane, Australia. And the Korea Mail was like the the biggest newspaper in my state of Queensland. And my lecturer, a woman by the name of Susan Hawking, was pretty amazing and pretty inspirational. And I got on really well with her. And it was it was Susan who actually got me my first gig as what we called, what I think you call cub reporters in America. We call cadet reporters in Australia. So yeah, my first job was through a network. Yeah. You mentioned like it's a little bit different than what you're doing now, obviously. And uh, it's still adjacent in some ways. Are there any lessons from those early days of journalism that you still find yourself pulling on every single day in your day-to-day life now? Oh, absolutely. In fact, when I, when I became CEO of Whale Rock, I used to kind of shy away from the idea that my early career fueled what I do now because it seemed very different. Now that I've had a few years in the job, I realized that I think having a journalism background is an incredible tool for business management and for people management, just you know, to, to drill down to actual skill sets, being able to communicate, storytell, being curious, all of those qualities that are important in journalism are also vastly underrated in the world of business. Anyone can learn to read a PL. They really can. Yeah. But not everyone can learn to actually read a room and extract information that they need and communicate it efficiently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about Whale Rock because you obviously came into that space in 2011 and, you know, so much has changed just in the last, I mean, just over a decade now in how we, how we consume information, the influencer marketing world has changed so much. Uh, What was that arena like in 2011 and how have you seen it shift over the last decade or so? Uh, Really dramatically. Uh, So I went from working in newspapers to working in magazines and then from magazines in New York, I moved to LA and spent a period of time not working. I was being a mom. And when I kind of jumped back in, I really, really wanted to jump into the digital world. And in around 2011, 2012, ad-supported websites, remember those, were doing very well and were a thriving business. And if you could actually at that time kind of nail your distribution, which at the company now called Whale Rock used to be called Berman Braun. So if you were able to nail your distribution and you're able to nail your content and produce something amazing that people wanted to relate to and, and interact with, and then you were able to make great deals on the ad side, you, you were made. And so we nailed our distribution by going through portals. So back when... MSN and AOL used to just have literally billions of page views and you know, hundreds of millions of eyeballs that they didn't know what to do with. Back then, Berman Braun really zeroed in on creating websites and content to you know, enthrall those users in a number of different categories from celebrity journalism through parenting, politics, you know, men's brand. We had a 50 plus brand. So that was how it was back then. 
And then, of course, we all became incredibly reliant for distribution on Facebook. Mm. And Facebook can shift its algorithm at any time. And as everyone who's worked in that industry knows, once they started doing that, it got a little more tricky. Right, right. Well, like you said, you started really, I mean, really in the beginning, people trying to figure this out. You know, how how does influencer side of this work? How do you get these stories out here? How do you take on, you know, the digital space? And so it was kind of this wild west period, you know, and I think it still is in a lot of ways, you know, I I was talking to someone recently, I said, we're kind of in, we're talking about podcasting. I said, we're kind of in the silent film era of podcasting still, you know, like there's a lot of history that's yet to be made. You know, how do you stand out now? Because there's a lot of people that are early adopters. They recognize, hey, the digital space is where it's at. This isn't a fad that's not going where it's going. It's not going away. And now we're at a point where even high profile names are struggling to stand out in the deluge of information that's out there. You know, it's, it used to be get someone on people magazine, everyone's going to see it. You know, now, you know, I saw a trailer for a movie with Anne Hathaway that's been out for months. And I was like, how did Anne Hathaway do a movie (laughs) that I haven't heard of? So how do you go about, you know, maybe even tapping into those journalism skills? How do you go about finding what is of interest and then getting that message out there? I think you really nailed it in the sense that I think we're in an era right now of just unforeseen saturation Mm -hmm. of media. And I question what is the limit, not only in terms of how much can we put out there, but how much can a single human consume, right? And I think during the pandemic years, I don't know about you, but I consumed a lot. Yeah. (laughs) And yet there's still so much that I miss. And so I think that there's a real challenge as marketers now, especially as marketers of content, it's incredibly challenging because, you know, there's a lot of pay to play that Mm -hmm. goes on, you know, virality is really a matter of luck. So, you know, I think the foundation has to be there, right? You have to be producing something that is excellent. So that's stage one. But then you really have to be thinking about, well, how do I get noticed? How do I rise to the top? And a lot of it is happening through partnerships. Partnerships are probably a stronger marketing tool than almost anything else right now because anyone can pay for distribution, but that level of endorsement that comes from another company or in your case, another podcast that I'm listening to recommending your podcast, hence the the kind of outcropping of influencer marketing as an industry that didn't even exist 10 years ago. All of that influence piece is vital. That you know, and that that trust in in where you're hearing the information. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with. Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, 
that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely all in on the partnership side, you know, and that's something we've seen in our business. And obviously with Guestio, you know, we're trying to connect people who have credibility that's already been established and connect them with people who may have an incredible message, but don't have the platform, you know, to get that message out. And, you know, we've seen it. It it does something for you when you sit across from someone who has an established brand or has an established influence. But, But I'm curious on that side as well, you know, are you seeing any shift away from, say, the power of an influencer, you know, because we, we throw around the term influencer all the time. As there's more saturation, as more people are hitting that lucky viral streak on a TikTok or something like, how much does pre-existing credibility matter when coming into sharing a story or developing your brand further? I think pre-existing credibility is important. Engagement rates are important and, <clears throat> and often overlooked, right? So a lot of times when hiring influencers, brands will look at their following, but not really spend enough time thinking about engagement rate. I think one shift that I'm really noticing in the influencer marketing space is it is very hard to break in and really build your following on a new platform. It would be very hard for a new face or a new young face to enter the modeling world. That's really tough to crack. And you see it how when you're trying to develop your following on new platforms or newer platforms like TikTok, a TikTok following for most content creators or brands grows way faster than an Instagram following now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but back in the early days, those Instagram followings were ballooning way faster than Facebook followings. Because you're so, the early adopter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Well, I'm curious before we get to the end here, and I, like I said, I want to be respectful of your time. What are the things that you're looking at? There's a lot of conversations happening about all the different routes things are going. You know, there's people that are just saying. It's going to be TikTok for a little while longer. There's people saying, if you're thinking about TikTok, you should be thinking about the metaverse, you know, like where are you going to adopt next? But like when you see some of these new opportunities come up, is it a jump to be the first there? Or is it something where you're kind of waiting to see which of these is going to stick? Where do we focus our attention? Like what excites you coming in these next, you know, two, three years? That's a really good question because I actually used to work at a brand, that brand was Time Magazine way back in the day when Time Magazine meant something where it was the actual philosophy of the editors of the magazine to not be first, to be followers at that point in time. I'm sure it's changed now as everything else has. But at that point in time, it was, let's not be first, let's be the best. Let's not be the first to break the news. Maybe we'll miss a trend, and but it's okay to miss the trend. Let's see if the trend sticks around long enough for our readers to care about the trend and then go out with it. 
So it really is interesting trying to figure out what to be first with when there's so much coming at you. I am a big believer that there will be a lot of metaverse opportunities coming towards us for better or worse. Um, And I don't think it can be too early for people to jump on board and to really start thinking about what their brand is in that future and what that future looks like. I'd really like to see that world open up to more to women and minorities as well. And, and so that, so that different types of voices have an early stake in whatever that turns out to be, rather than just the usual kind of tech players that we're accustomed to hearing from in, in you know, early platforms. But I think, I think that could be really exciting and, and an interesting next for us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll ask you one more question before we transition to our, our random round, because you said something interesting about obviously more diversity on some of these newer platforms. And, and that's going to have to happen from some early adopters staking that claim first. What percentage of your work would you say is pursuing trends versus being a trendsetter? Which of those things do you think is more important to focus on? Because like you said, a lot of virality is luck. Is this thing going to land that we're trying? What percentage would you say should be chasing a trend versus trying to establish something new and interesting? I always fall into the new and interesting camp as a much more exciting and fun place to work. I think, right. you know, we at Wellrock have a, a variety of different divisions doing different things. And I always think that if you're able to stake a claim on a certain area of growth, that is always way more exciting and fun than following. And to be honest, uh, we've made mistakes by going too soon. There are some brands that we have shuttered over the years, I think because we were actually ahead of ourselves, which is is a little bit of an egotistical way to say we failed. But, but when I look back and I see what's happening now, I look at some of those brands and think, oh, if we just had four more years right. under our belt, yeah. Yeah. They would have succeeded. We, we were so good. We failed <laughs> you know, it's, it's too ahead of the curve. It's the ultimate humble brag. Right. Um, absolutely. Well, the question we ask everybody as we kind of transition to our random round, and I'm curious to hear your answer. Do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why? I think it has to be a combination. And I know that's not a satisfying answer. I think who you know is really important for getting in the door. And then what you know is how you're going to prove yourself and open the new doors to come that are ahead of you. Awesome. Awesome. Love that. Well, I have a couple quick questions here. We'll run through just so they can get to know you a little bit better on the show. First, what profession other than your own, do you think it would be fun to attempt? I would love to be a cartoon voiceover actor. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I'd like to work in my pajamas and be <laughs> silly all day. Here you go. Uh, if you could sit on a park bench with anybody past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? My answer to these kinds of questions changes daily. Today, I'm feeling Emily Bronte. Okay. What would be um, the first thing you'd want to ask? I would ask her, how the hell did she pull it off in that era to write novels that have lasted you know, so, so many years, uh, yeah. knowing the circumstances in which she was living? I'm kind of fascinated with that era for women. How do you like to learn best? Is it books, podcasts, video? Uh, what's your What's your favorite way to consume that new information? I'm a reader. I do listen to podcasts. I'm not a huge fan of watching videos. I watch TV to escape, but I but I am a reader. What are you watching right now? I just finished watching the latest Ozark, which is mm. fabulous. Big fan. Big fan of Ozark Succession. Just watched and just like that, but I don't want to talk about that because I didn't love it. 
Really? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. We just finished and just like that. What do you think? There were some that I didn't like, but I liked it, I think more than most. What do you do though? How do you go back and revisit that and match what it was? (laughs) You know, it's one of those things where like I went into it going, it's not going to be sex in the city, but, uh, you know, but I had fun with that. I, I really didn't like what they did with Miranda's character throughout that's, the show. That's um, the big one. Because they really it. disempowered, I think, when she was kind of that powerful force throughout the uh, the original series. Yeah, uh, that's the universal criticism. And I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, it's fair. What is, uh, or give me a glimpse of your morning routine. Morning routine. Okay. I get up around 6.30, wake up my kids, get the breakfast going. I, I've got two twin 16-year-old boys and they go to school, frankly, close enough to walk, but I still drive them. So I usually leave the house by about 7.30, drop them to school, go to the gym, come home after a workout. And depending on whether I've got New York calls or LA calls, I am straight on to the Zooms. Gotcha. What's your go-to pump-up song? My go-to pump-up song, which is also annoyingly my telephone ring tone, is Shout to the Top by the Style Council. There you go. Uh, what is something that you're not very good at? Any sport involving balls. Not good. <laughs> gotcha. And uh, last question, what is the best place online for people to connect with you if they want to follow your journey? I spend a lot of time on Instagram, LinkedIn. They're probably the, the two big ones. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for taking some time to uh, answer some of these questions. Give us a peek at what you do. And uh, yeah, looking forward to see how things develop and uh, the next big thing will be. Thanks, Eric. It was fun. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.